Natural MD Radio, your place to hear the whole truth on health and medicine for women and children and get the tools you need to take back your health naturally starting now. I'm Dr. Aviva Ram. For many years of my life, in fact, for decades, I lived with the pervasive feeling that if something really great happened in my life, there was going to be some kind of universal counterbalance to that in the form of something really bad happening to me. And that feeling got even worse when I became a mom because the stakes became really high. So in my, somehow in my mind, if something really great happened, like I got a book contract, then I felt like I had to be on the lookout for something horrible happening in my life, like to one of my kids, that there was going to be some kind of karmic payback, not for anything I had done in the past in that sense of karma, but somehow some balancing of some universal weighing system. And for for years, I really struggled with that so that when something great was about to happen, or even if I was going to take a risk on doing something big, I was constantly weighing back and forth. Well, if I do that, what's the payback going to be? What bad is going to happen? What am I going to lose? If I got something I was going to lose something. Now, I know that sounds like a little bit of crazy thinking and a little bit of crazy magical thinking. And it's not. And I'm going to explain to you why today. But I really want to honor this this fear that we live with, and particularly women live with even more, and uh, moms live with um, in an exaggerated sense. You know, for a long time, I thought it was just somehow me, like it was just my own cuckoo way of thinking or my own negative thinking. But as I started getting out into the world and learning more about what happens in our survival response system, our adrenals, as we commonly kind of sum it up, and as I started talking and teaching with more women about this, I was amazed and shocked at the number of women who would nod their heads in recognition and acknowledgement or say to me, Dr. Viva. I've been living with this for years and I thought it was just me or I thought there was something wrong with me. And so I want to talk with you today about one, why that happens, two, acknowledge you're not crazy at all. In fact, you're perfectly hardwired for survival and your brain is doing exactly what it's supposed to be doing to protect you. And three, and most importantly, how to shift out of that kind of thinking because it's not actually necessary and it's not actually true. So let's talk about, first of all, why this thinking happens. And and actually, I just want to take a second before we even go forward with that together and just acknowledge that if you have been feeling that way, if you have been thinking that way, it's a really tough way to live because it can keep you from taking risks on great things. It can keep you from taking risks on yourself, on going back to school, on shifting your career, on writing a book, on painting that painting and showing it to a gallery owner or art agent, from getting up on stage for a speaking engagement, or any of the things that you want to do that you dream of that are yourself unfolding. And it can also keep you from celebrating your wins, celebrating the great things that happen to you. It can keep your light 
under a bushel because when something great happens, you don't want to shout it out to the universe and shout it out to the world because you're afraid if you do, it's boastful or bragging and something bad is going to come and get you from behind. Now, where does that thinking come from? And I can tell you, you can get over that thinking, celebrating your life, celebrating your wins and and trying great things and succeeding at great things. I can tell you now from having overcome that thought pattern myself and truly, honestly, not being plagued by it anymore. Like it just doesn't happen for me anymore. And I've been out of it for several years now. You can totally live with that symptom out of your life. Why do I use the word symptom? Because it is a symptom. It's a symptom of being stuck in survival mode. Being stuck in survival mode is a theme that I use a lot in my teaching now and in my work now. And it's actually the heart of my new book, The Adrenal Thyroid Revolution. What does being stuck in survival mode mean? Well, we have a hard wiring in us. We are primitively set to survive. We will survive pretty much at all costs. We will take care of ourselves and protect ourselves at all costs, even at the expense of our sense of well-being, our happiness, and our peace in our lives. How does this happen? Well, it starts in two little organs in our brain called the amygdala. And they're called the amygdala because that means almond-shaped, and that's what they are. They're almond-shaped, and they're on either side of our brain. And the amygdala are our primitive surveillance system. When I say primitive, it means these are have been in us since the evolution, our earliest evolution as human beings, but they're also in all other um, higher thinking and even primitive species that have evolved. Some people call them our lizard brain because they're so ancient. And think of them as a surveillance system on your house. If you had an external surveillance system like cameras mounted on your house, or when you see cameras mounted on the highway, they're constantly scanning for danger. When you're in your house, you're not thinking, oh, my surveillance system is constantly scanning the perimeter, but it is. And that's what the amygdala are doing. They're constantly scanning the perimeter and your field of vision, but also your awareness, your sense of sound and smell for anything that can be a danger to you. Now, not only do they scan constantly for potential danger, but they also catalog and store as memory these potential dangers. So it could be that there's actual dangers that were hardwired to be aware of. So for example, somebody screaming at you, your primitive brain recognizes that that's a threat. Someone verbally or emotionally, or even with their facial expressions, accosting you in some way can be perceived as a danger. And your body goes into a fight or flight response that I'm going to talk about in a minute. But it's not just actual danger in the present time. So it's anything your brain's cataloged as danger. So for example, if you had a relative who was an actual threat to you, or if you had a parent who was an actual threat to you at times or left you feeling vulnerable in any way. And that parent's facial expressions triggered you to recognize when your parent was going to fly off the handle or was drunk or was going to hit you or hit another parent. Those facial expressions became cataloged 
as a hazard to you. If you had a depressed or anxious parent, and when your parent's facial expressions of depression or anxiety triggered you to feel that something wasn't right in your world, because your parent's supposed to give you messages that everything is right in your world. If your parent's facial expressions told you things aren't right in the world because they were suffering from depression or anxiety or rage or addiction, those facial expressions, perhaps an anxious facial expression or a flat facial expression or an enraged facial expression became cataloged in your primitive brain as a sign of danger, as a sign that everything is not right in your world. And so let's say you are hanging out with a friend or you're on a date or you're in a business meeting or you're in an interview or you're talking with your spouse and the person that you're engaging with or interacting with makes a facial expression, even if it has absolutely nothing to do with you, but that is reminiscent of that danger facial expression that your brain catalogs, your internal mechanism will start to register danger. If, for example, you had a traumatic experience as a child and it involved certain scents, smells, sounds, visual perception, even a color, your brain has cataloged all of those triggers as subtle reminders, but nonetheless real reminders to your primitive hardwiring that something is wrong. Similarly, if you've had experiences in your life where all should be right in your world, all should be happy, all should be good, and it wasn't, those got cataloged as well. So for example, my primitive hardwiring is complicated. My parents got divorced when I was very young. They had a very violent physical and verbal relationship up until the time I was four, crescendoing in a massively eruptive kind of final scene that could have been something from a movie, you know, like Enough with Jennifer Lopez and a divorce. After that, whenever I got together with my dad, even if I had a really good time and I came home, my mom would grill me. She would grill me for any signs that I had had a bad experience And so when I would go to my dad's and come home, even if I had a great time with my dad and eventually my stepmom, which I didn't always have a great time with them, but the times that I did and I would come home, I could tell that if I said that I had a good time, my mom was displeased. So I started a pattern of every time I had a good time or anytime something good happened in my life, not involving my mom but involving my dad or my stepmom, I would come home and I would say, I had an awful time. It was terrible. This happened, that happened, the other happened. And then as I got a little older into grade school and middle school and even high school, and I would go out with my friends and come home, what became a codependent relationship with my single mom who, you know, did her best. I'm not saying this to diss my mom in any way. This is just a pattern that evolved in my life as a result of circumstances became a negative, right? So if I went out and had a good time with my girlfriends, I could tell my mom felt left out. And so I would start to um, shift my story and say, no, it was really horrible. Um, I didn't enjoy it. And what happened for me was hardwiring that if anything good happened, I had to make it into something bad. And eventually there were experiences that cemented in also, if anything good happened, 
then it was a bad situation. For example, if I would have a birthday party and I was overly excited or overly happy and one of my parents got into a fight with my other parent, it kind of started to feel like the good things weren't good anymore. Holidays became like that. And I'm sure some of you or many of you are resonating with that. And it may be a very different story, but um, something relatable. For example, maybe you had holidays that always turned out where something went wrong because of a family member with mental illness or a, a family member who was an alcoholic, for example, which of course is a mental illness as well. Or maybe you actually had an experience in your life where something really great was happening and something terrible happened. I mean, I've had patients, for example, who were having a great day with a friend or another family member only to find out that a parent had been in a horrible car accident, for example. So our brain catalogs these situations and locks them in. And every time we experience a similar emotion that was associated with something that threatened our well-being, our safety, our sense of security, our sense of peace or happiness, that emotional experience gets replayed as associated with whatever other emotions it got tagged onto. So for many of us, grief, loss, fear, insecurity, instability got tagged onto happy or good or positive or successful events, experiences, or other times in our lives. And so that's how this sense of what's good can become locked in or bound into a sense of dread or something bad happening. Also, just in your life, if you've had horrible things or even really stressful things happen to you, losses, illnesses, unexpected tragedies, for example, then your brain becomes more alert to those things as a greater possibility for you. So what happens is this amygdala, these almond-shaped parts of your brain, get triggered when they recognize, perceive, or, re- or have a reminder from the external world or your internal world through an emotion that something is threatening your safety. And it sends a relay message very quickly to what is called the hypothalamic pituitary adrenal axis. Many people call this the stress axis. I like to think of it as the survival mode axis because when it gets kicked in, we automatically get kicked into survival mode. When we're in survival mode, a whole host of reactions happen. Our breathing gets quicker. Our sense of alertness to our environment goes into overdrive. We become what's called hypervigilant or super aware of our environment, not even consciously, but our subconscious brain starts to really scan the environment for danger, intruders, hazards of any kind. And we go into what we commonly call fight or flight mode. I'm not going to go into all the details of that now. I'll go into that in another episode of the podcast and I go into it in depth in the adrenal thyroid revolution. And it basically is all those reactions that you have when you're ready to run, when you're ready to fight, when you get really triggered. Think of that feeling you get in your body if you're watching a scary movie 
if you've watched a scary movie at some time in your life, we probably all have, and it's really quiet in your house and you're in like the height of that moment in a scary movie. And all of a sudden you hear a thud or something dropping or clanking in your house and you go into that like super high alert or the feeling that many women get. We all know the feeling of being on a dark street, getting to our car and we hear footsteps or we're in a parking garage and getting to our car. It's that heightened feeling. But many of us without even realizing it are subtly living in that all the time because of past trauma, memory, and being in this survival mode. Just the stresses of everyday life actually cause us to live in that to some extent all the time. And that's a lot of what I focus on in my book and how that impacts us on so many levels, our blood glucose balance, our weight, our ability to get good sleep, our digestion, our immune systems, our hormones, our cognitive function. It can cause brain fog, hormonal imbalances, fertility problems, weight gain, especially around the middle, high blood pressure, high cholesterol, diabetes, so much more. And that's what the book is about. But today I want to focus on this emotional piece because especially at this time of year, if you're listening at the holiday season, when I'm recording, it can really get heightened. It can get heightened when you're supposed to have, you know, that feeling of good things happening, but you have dread because so many of us actually have had family trauma, particularly around the holiday season. Or if we've had family trauma at all in our lives, it gets heightened at that time when, you know, the um, sort of the, the meaning of the season is family and togetherness. But if family and togetherness isn't happy for you, it can really heighten this. Also at that time of year when we're expecting good things like gifts and and happy times and parties and joy, it can exacerbate that feeling of like, oh my gosh, something's going to happen to someone because I feel happy right now. So we end up in this either chronic survival mode or for many of us, survival mode gets kicked in when we're in that something good is about to happen. So something bad is going to happen. And it causes you to become anxious, hyper aware, overly alert, and even for just a short time or for a chronic amount of time, like you can be living in this all the time, you feel a sense of dread, foreboding, and it can actually feel like intuition, which is really scary because it's hard sometimes when you're feeling fear to separate the feelings of fear from an intuition. One hint I can give you is that intuition is typically a flash feeling, a flash insight. It's not typically a memory. And intuition is not typically associated with a whole host of anxious emotional attachment. It's usually more an insight, not a whole kind of like sense of dread. Now, I'm not saying ignore that, but if you think you're having a lot of intuitions and a lot of intuitions are actually more feelings of anxiety, you're probably in this fight or flight survival mode that you're stuck in this hardwired drive for safety and security that's affecting you on a day-to-day basis or affecting you when you're trying to take a risk or do something big or when something great is about to happen, like you're about to get an award and you're thinking, oh my gosh, what's going to go wrong? So how do we get out of this? Well, the beautiful and most amazing thing, aside from our ability to survive about us, is a concept called neuroplasticity. It means that your brain and your neural and emotional hardwiring can actually be reshaped and reconnected. Our brain is working on the basis of millions of 
fast-firing electrical impulses and chemical exchanges that are happening almost if you think about like telephone wires carrying the messages and then what we say being the communication that happens between when one person fires a message and another person picks up the phone and gets the message. That's happening a zillion times in milliseconds in our brain. And what's really beautiful is that unlike telephone wires, which are kind of, you know, in the old days, there were literal physical wires. Well, I guess those still exist, but most of us are using cellular. Those wires are fixed, but the ones in our brain can be rerouted and reconnected. And the way we do that is through our actual emotional programming and our thought pattern. The first and most important key in making the shift is awareness. And what that awareness is, is of the actual feelings that we're having in our bodies and the actual thoughts, those thoughts of dread, those thoughts of something that's going to go wrong, the actual movie you're playing of somebody getting in an accident, right? Because sometimes it's so tangible, you can see it. You can imagine something good is about to happen and you get the phone call that so-and-so was in an accident or something happened at your child's school, right? For those of you who experience this, you're, I'm sure, relating to what I'm talking about here. So the first thing is to have awareness just when you're experiencing the emotion or having the thought. And the second thing is cognitive and emotional disruption. Rather than letting that emotion or that thought run away like a horse without a rider, is to actually recognize these are just thoughts and these are just emotions, but they're not true right now. You're not in danger right now. So it's awareness of the feelings, the cognitive disruption or the emotional disruption of saying to yourself, this is a thought, this is an emotion, this is not a reality right now. And then the third step is to shift that internal emotional and the internal thought pattern. And this may sound really simple and it may sound a little woo-woo, but there's hard science behind this. When you take some deep breaths, right in that moment, while you're having the thought and you're having the feeling, then you can actually reframe how your brain usually goes down that pathway and you can start yourself on a different pathway. Now, if you can imagine that you are walking at a park and you're walking on a well-worn, let's say you're, you're walking on a trail and it's a well-worn trail it's really easy to walk on that trail. You don't have to have a machete. You don't have to clear out underbrush. You don't have to clear out any vines or spider webs that are in front of you. The emotional and thought pattern that you usually go down and that you've been going down since childhood or since trauma happened to you is a well-worn path. It's really easy to go down that path. Your brain and your emotions will go down that path without any effort because it's well-worn. There are no obstacles. I am not saying that creating this new path happens in a flash, that it happens one time and boom, you're magically on this new path. It's not like that at all. It's like taking a deep breath at the beginning of a path that you have to walk down with a machete or with some kind of, you know, your arms moving in front of you to clear the cobwebs. But what happens when you walk on a path and you clear a path time after time after time after time? It becomes the new 
well-worn path that's easy to travel down. So for me, I suddenly became aware of the discrepancy in my life between the thoughts and the emotions that every time something good was about to happen, something bad happened. And I actually took inventory of my adult life and said, wow, this good thing happened and nothing bad happened. And that good thing happened and nothing bad happened. And that good thing happened and nothing bad happened. And even for you, if something good happened and then something bad did happen, there is no evidence that that is going to happen again and again and again. So the part that takes the work is when you're in that emotional roller coaster, when you're on that thought tidal wave, is catching it. I'm in this and it's just emotions. It's just thoughts. And yes, I honor these emotions and I honor these thoughts because at some point in my life, these emotions and these thoughts kept me safe. So what I do, I don't actually have to do it anymore about this pattern, which is really amazing because when I tell you I lived with this for years, I am not kidding you. I really did. You know, something great would happen in my life and I would feel anxious or panicked that when my husband and my kids went out in the car, something terrible was going to happen as payback. And it's really, it's really devastating to live like that, even if it's subtle. And for me, it was subtle. It wasn't like I was having like a panic attack. It was more like a thought process that often kept me before I did something or before I tried something new. Like when I was applying to med school, I had to really overcome this. And finally, about, I don't know, five years ago, I really got it. Wow. Good things don't always get followed by bad things. In fact, most of the time they don't. And doing the good thing isn't going to stop the bad thing from happening. And doing the good thing isn't going to make the bad thing. So how do I really want to live my life? So what I did when, the, when, these, when I first got aware of that I didn't have to live like this anymore with what's truly anxiety, right? It's just another form of anxiety was to actually have the thought and have the emotion and recognize it for what it was, fear, and then thank it. Because for me, that fear kept me safe, right? Had I always come home from my dad's house and said to my mom, I had a great time, it would have caused me suffering. It would have caused me more times where my mom was verbally or emotionally abusive to me because that's what would have happened. So I learned how to read the signs. I learned how to read the mood. I learned how to read the emotions. I learned at a young age that when something good happened emotionally, I paid for it. But I realized that I didn't have to do that anymore. And so I thanked those thoughts. Every time those thoughts and emotions would come up, every time the fear would come up, every time the resistance to do something great or embrace the greatness that was happening in my life happened, I would thank it. I would say, thank you thoughts. Thank you emotions. Because at some point in my life, you protected me. You kept me safe. But I am safe now and I don't need you anymore. So you can go. And then I would take deep breaths. I would just take some few deep breaths. I use an exercise that I have over on my website over at www.avivaram.com called The Quickie. You can just look up Aviva Ram, The Quickie. I know it's a funny name, not what it sounds like, but you can have quickies all day long and they can really help you rewire your brain. And all you simply do is you take a deep breath to the count of four And while you're taking that deep breath in your mind, you're saying, I am. And then you exhale to the count of six. 
And while you're exhaling, you say at peace. So inhale, count of four, I am. Exhale, count of six in your mind, at peace. That inhale to the count of four and exhale to the count of six actually helps put you in what's called parasympathetic mode. Your parasympathetic nervous system is also called your rest and digest, and it's the antidote to the fight or flight mode, which is your sympathetic nervous system. So when you're in sympathetic mode, you're usually breathing shallowly or you're breathing anxiously. Sometimes you're even holding your breath because you're listening for sounds and you're breathing a lot faster. And that keeps you in sympathetic overdrive. It keeps you in that survival mode or fight or flight to antidote that and to bring yourself more back into a deeper place in yourself that's calm and relaxed and feel safe. You do that more deep breathing. You want to try to be in a more deep breathing mode most of the day if you can. But when you're feeling anxious, that quickie, that in-breath and that out-breath to the count of six and saying, I am at peace can really help anchor you because you're, you're sending a different word form to your brain also that helps to rewire that whole trigger response all the way from that external surveillance system all the way down to your adrenals is really powerful. And you can do that anytime. You can do it with your eyes open. You can do it with your eyes closed. I've done it in checkout lines, you know, when I'm waiting and I'm getting irritated and I have somewhere to be and I have to, you know, do something at a store or if I'm stuck in traffic and I have to be somewhere and I'm feeling that agitated feeling, it's really powerful. Or even if you're just in a conversation with someone that's getting heated and you don't want to go down a fight road with someone, which is a great thing at holiday time. If you have stress with your family, just do that quickie. You can do it without anybody even knowing you're doing it. Just in breath, out breath. And in your mind, you're saying, I am at peace. You can be listening to somebody, you know, ranting and, and still be doing it. So that's the first thing is that awareness that you're in that fear mode. You're having that anxiety reaction, thanking it for being there and protecting you, telling it you don't need it anymore. And then doing this reset by this breathing exercise just doing that every time you catch yourself in that anxiety mode can start to shape your new pathway. And if you do it long enough, it becomes second nature. So for me, I don't even have that other pathway anymore, the something good, something bad. Now I just have that pathway where I can have something good happen and not even think that something bad is going to happen anymore. This pathway and this pattern that I've talked to, talked with you about today is just one of many survival mode patterns that we get into. Some of the other ones we get into are perfectionism or being a good girl. And I'm going to talk with you about those in other episodes. Now, this is the way you cognitively disrupt it and shape a new pattern. Other pieces of it start to go into things like journaling. When you start to become more aware of these patterns, Sometimes you're not even sure why you have them. And actually, it, it doesn't matter. You can reset this pattern without ever knowing why you have it. You don't even have to go digging into deep, dark memories. Um, if you're struggling with PTSD, this is a really powerful way to reset PTSD because PTSD is formed in the same part of your brain, the amygdala, and your emotions are triggering that or memories are triggering that or experiences are triggering that the same way a sound can trigger a person who's had past trauma or any experience can trigger PTSD. This is a form of PTSD that's operating in your life. But you can also go to another level where you start to actually become aware 
of what the memories and the triggers were that got you there. And that's a great time to either work with a therapist or start to journal. If you're starting to have those journaling memories and the next step is really conscious forgiveness. Now, forgiveness is a complicated um, topic, and I'm not going to go into that today. I'm going to uh, talk about that another time. But if you want to explore forgiveness, um, one area you can um, go down is looking at the work, for example, of Brené Brown. Um, she talks a lot about vulnerability and forgiveness in her book, for example, Daring Greatly. And um, forgiveness is a powerful tool. There's an expression in Buddhism that anger is like drinking poison and expecting the other person to die. But forgiveness is also complicated. I think there are times when forgiveness isn't appropriate yet, or you're not ready for that yet, or that we, we don't want to let go of what happened to us because it does help us with survival mode. So there's a, a lot of complexity there. But for today, I really want to just reinforce that you can have wonderful things in your life happen without anything horrible happening. My friend Gabrielle Bernstein has a new book called The Universe Has Your Back. And I love that as a mantra. The universe has your back. The universe has my back. And one of the things that I have been saying to myself as a cognitive disrupt for years, so I loved it when Gabby came out with the, with the book of that title, is The Universe Has My Back. And when I look at the evidence of my life, and when I look at the evidence of most of our lives, so many wonderful and good things happen to us without something bad happening. And even if something bad has happened in your life, it doesn't mean it's ever going to happen again. So I want to just reiterate the steps, awareness, thanking your past for getting you here and having you in survival mode, but letting your entire being know that you're okay now. You are safe now. Those things that happened then are not happening now. And the universe has your back. And then create a new path for yourself. Create a new path of possibility using breathing. And if you want to go further using journaling or working with someone to help you shift out of that old pattern into this new path, you have an incredible new path ahead of you. One that allows wonderful things to happen in your life. And I want to honor that and thank you for being here today and honor that you are ready and that you're at the head of that new path and ready to do the work that it takes to reflect, to shift, and to go on to the rest of your life, knowing that the universe has your back, knowing that you deserve wonderful things to happen and knowing that wonderful things can happen and nothing has to happen with it except the wonderful thing. you enjoyed this episode of Natural MD Radio. If you did, please go to avivaram.com and join the conversation about the show on my blog. And while you're there, be sure to sign up for my newsletter. It's free and it's jam-packed with powerful tips to help you take back your health naturally. That's avivaram.com. Take care and see you next time.